So yesterday, the Republicans voted incredibly narrowly to impeach Secretary of Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorkas. It was very narrow because a few Republicans defected, like three Republicans defected, and Republicans, as we'll discuss in just a little while, have a shrinking House majority. But they were able, on a 214 to 213 party line vote, impeach the Homeland Security Secretary. So what exactly does that mean? And first answer is in practical terms, it means nothing. He's not going to be actually convicted in the Senate. There is no shot that he is going to be convicted in the Senate. It was an optical impeachment in the same way that it was an optical impeachment both times Donald Trump was impeached by the House of Representatives. But that does not mean that it was worthless. It was worthwhile for a couple of reasons. One, it is imperative that the Republicans in the House continue to highlight Joe Biden's administration's refusal to enforce America's southern border. So just on a pure policy matter, this administration has kept the southern border wide open. They've completely restructured American immigration law so as to facilitate the mass migration of people up through America's southern border. You're talking about anywhere from six to 10 million people who have entered the country illegally since Joe Biden took office. People who are claiming asylum, waving their arms, getting picked up by Border Patrol and then being released on parole into the country never to show up again. That is a deliberate policy decision made by this administration, effectuated by the Secretary of Homeland Security. To be totally fair to Alejandro Mayorkas, he works for Joe Biden. So here is the other side of the impeachment, because there's really two questions. One is, is the border policy horrific and should it be highlighted? Yes, it's horrific. Yes, it should be highlighted. Then there's the second question, whether that merits impeachment. So on the merits of impeachment, this depends on what you think impeachment is for. So for nearly all of American history, people thought that what impeachment was actually for was, you know, high crimes and misdemeanors, which is why it was barely ever used. It was used in cases of bribery a couple of times. It was being threatened against Richard Nixon before he resigned. But the reality is that the impeachment cat was never taken out of the bag unless you actually had high crimes and misdemeanors to allege. And then Democrats two times alleged no crime by Donald Trump, and then impeached him twice. And I said in both of those cases that impeachment was not merited because even if I wildly disagreed with Donald Trump's actions between the election in November of 2020 and January 6th of 2021, there was no actual crime that took place. Bad behavior is not impeachable. Crime is impeachable. And when it came to his conversations with Vladimir Zelensky, the suggestion was that he had a conversation with Vladimir Zelensky back in 2019 in which he essentially threatened the suspension of American aid to Ukraine in the lead up to the war in Ukraine, specifically because he wanted the Ukrainian government to go and investigate Hunter Biden and Burisma. And the suggestion was that this was him essentially militarizing American military aid in order to pursue a political goal on his own behalf. And that was the impeachable offense. But there was no actual crime that was alleged in the impeachment documents. It was all, again, bad behavior. And so I said both times, Even if you don't like Donald Trump's behavior, that's not impeachable. Democrats disagreed. They impeached him twice. So why impeach Alejandro Mayorkas without actual high crimes or misdemeanors? The reason is because if these are the new rules, they apply to everyone evenly. And we should all recognize that if we want to go back to status quo ante, if we want to put the cat back in the bag, then we cannot have a situation in which Democrats get to impeach Republican officials for not high crimes and misdemeanors. And then Republicans will only impeach for high crimes and misdemeanors. So the impeachment serves two purposes. One is an obviously political and I think well-merited purpose, which is go after this administration on their crap border policy. And two is to reestablish a mutually assured destruction with regard to impeachment so that if both parties wish to restore what impeachment was for before, which is just high crimes and misdemeanors, let's go back to that. Otherwise, it's just going to be everyone can basically assume 
that if an opposing party takes control of Congress, a party that is not the same party running the presidency, that somebody in the White House is going to get impeached. That's just the way this is going to work. According to the Wall Street Journal, with the 214 to 213 vote, Mayorkas became the first sitting cabinet official in history to be impeached. The GOP has been pursuing the impeachment for more than a year, alleging that Mayorkas has willfully refused to enforce the nation's immigration laws, pointing to the record number of illegal crossings at the southern border. Mayorkas has called those allegations false and, of course, is not going anywhere in the Senate of the United States. Now, again, this doesn't mean that Alejandro Mayorkas isn't doing a horrifying job. He is doing a, a truly horrifying job. But it is also true that there are no crimes that are actually alleged in the impeachment documents. I'm looking at the impeachment documents right now. And again, the political case for impeaching Mayorkas or hell impeaching Joe Biden is very strong. If by that you just mean this person is doing a really bad job and betraying their public oath of office and should not be in that job. So, for example, the impeachment documents say that Alejandro Mayorkas has demonstrated he will remain a threat to national and border security, the safety of the U.S. people and the Constitution if allowed to remain in office and has acted in a manner grossly incompatible with his duties in the rule of law. And I totally agree with all of that. Again, is that a high crime or misdemeanor? No, I mean, I think Joe Biden does that pretty much every day. And that doesn't mean he has committed a high crime or misdemeanor. But again, this is about two things. One is reestablishing a level of deterrence with regard to what used to be a nuclear option in American politics, impeachment. Even when Bill Clinton was impeached by the House of Representatives, Bill Clinton had committed a crime. Bill Clinton committed obstruction of justice. That was alleged in the impeachment charging documents. That's what was there. It was Democrats who broke this glass. And now it's Democrats are going to have to put them back together. That's all. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, for all my Christian listeners, Lent, the 40 days leading up to Easter, starts today. It's a time of intense prayer, fasting, and giving. Hallow's annual Pray 40 Challenge is one of their most popular. Last year, over 1 million people joined. This year, their Pray 40 Challenge focuses on surrender and includes meditations on the powerful book, He Leadeth Me. This is a story about a priest who became a prisoner and slave in the Soviet Union during the Cold War. His story is one of ultimate surrender and how we are all called to offer up our own worries, anxieties, problems, and lives to God. There will also be Lent music, Lent-specific Bible stories, and other Lenten prayers like the seven last words of Christ with Jim Caviezel. How it is truly transformative. It'll help you connect with your faith on a deeper level. So what exactly are you waiting for? Download that Hallow app today at hallow.com slash Shapiro for an exclusive three-month free trial of more than 6,000 prayers and meditations. That's hallow.com slash Shapiro. There's nothing more important in your life than reconnecting with the divine. Hallow will help you do it. Go to hallow.com slash Shapiro. Get that exclusive three-month free trial of more than 6,000 prayers and meditations today. So what are the consequences for all this? Well, obviously it keeps front and center all of the border failures of this administration. And those border failures are myriad and super problematic. Democrats are claiming, of course, that this is all ridiculous and there's, there's nothing to it. And, and it's the same people who are claiming that it was perfectly fine to impeach Donald Trump over not high crimes and misdemeanors now saying that it's really bad to impeach Mayorkas over not high crimes and misdemeanors. So, for example, Representative Dan Goldman, who actually led the impeachment effort against Trump, he says that going after Mayorkas, so that's just about taking a scalp. Well, I mean, that's true. What do you think going after Trump was as well? The president and Secretary Mayorkas spent months negotiating a bipartisan deal to address the situation at the border, which goes further than any Democrat has ever gone before. And all of a sudden, after claiming that the administration needs to address the border, the Republicans and Donald Trump decide, no, 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 no. we don't really want to solve the problems. We want the problems so that we can run against the problems. 
homes. And that is incredibly cynical, and that's what this is all about. It is taking a scalp for Secretary Mayorkas, for the MAGA base, and trying to lay the blame at his feet for a situation at the border that needs to be addressed, but can only be addressed by legislation, not by executive action. And of course, that's a lie, right? What what the impeachment is about is saying that Mayorkas has every legal tool at his disposal to shut the border. Democrats are, of course, claiming that you need some sort of bipartisan piece of enabling legislation in order to close the border, which is not true. And then you hear, by the way, some Republicans buying into this rhetoric by suggesting that there needs to be additional funding at the border. There actually does not. Again, I was down at the border. I talked to the head of the Border Patrol Union. You can watch that documentary that we made about it. The first episode of Divided States of Biden. You can check that out over at Daily Wire. We discuss all of this in depth. This is not a resource problem. This is a resource allocation problem. And that is, in fact, about Alejandro Mayorkas, which is why for political purposes, it is necessary to remind everyone that this is solely on the Biden administration, that this really is about the Biden administration. And let's be real about this. Democrats have taken the open borders position. Hakeem Jeffries, who is the minority leader of the Democratic Party in the House, he says that Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, is the real problem because Greg Abbott is, you know, taking illegal immigrants and telling them that they can get on a bus to New York or Chicago. He suggests that he's responsible for human trafficking, for telling people that they can go to major American sanctuary cities. But Joe Biden is not responsible for human trafficking, for literally facilitating the entry of maybe 10 million people into the country. Do you not see that the move by Governor Abbott of Texas uh, to bus migrants to Democratic-leaning cities such as New York or Chicago or Denver, that while you might think it's cruel, it has been effective at demonstrating how this influx, influx of migrants has sapped social service resources and demonstrated that this is a real crisis. Do, do, you, th- do you agree with that? Well, Governor Abbott is an embarrassment and a human trafficker. They want to keep the border open. When you suggest that Abbott is the embarrassment and the human trafficker, it's pretty obvious what you want. Okay, all of this obviously plays into broader concerns about Joe Biden's presidency. The reason the Democrats are very upset about the impeachment of Mayorkas is because obviously it suggests to the American people that Joe Biden is truly a bad president because Joe Biden is truly a bad president. And all of the factors that are militating against his reelection are now coming into play. According to Breitbart.com, President Joe Biden maintained a plausible deniability while his family business raked in millions from several foreign entities, including CEFC China Energy Company, which compromised the president, according to former Biden family business partner, Tony Bobulinski. He was talking to the House impeachment inquiry. There's an impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden himself. His testimony is significant because, of course, you will remember that he actually did meet Joe Biden in the lobby of the Beverly Hilton Hotel in May 2017 to discuss business with CEFC. And he's also the whistleblower who mentioned, Bobulinski is, that the infamous email about a stake of 10% held for by H4, the big guy, the big guy was Joe Biden. That there was a carve out for Joe Biden. Well, according to Bob Malinsky, he said the only reason any of these international business transactions took place with tens of millions of dollars flung directly to the Biden family was because Joe Biden was in high office. The Biden family business was Joe Biden, period. Other players have made this point very clear as well. Hunter Biden himself has adamantly stated it in a variety of communications, as did another Biden family business associate, Devin Archer, in his testimony last year. And the perception of Joe Biden as some clean politician who has never been involved in corruption is obviously not true. So you add together his political incompetence, his accusations of corruption that are still swirling around him, those have sort of taken a backseat to the biggest issue surrounding him right now, which is his obvious senility. I mean, he is obviously losing it 
on a mental level. 86% of Americans, by the latest polling data, think he is too old to be president of the United States. And meanwhile, Democrats have no alternatives. They're just, there's no way out but through for them. And their defenses are getting more and more strained. Corinne Jean-Pierre, yesterday, White House press secretary, incompetent, terrible at her job, she suggested that, you remember that horrible press conference that Joe Biden did on Thursday night? It was the worst press conference I've ever seen from a president of the United States who was specifically designed to assuage American concerns about his mental state. And so he went out there and started spewing cream of wheat and then jabbering nonsensically about how the president of Egypt was the president of Mexico and such. She said, whose idea was that? So I said at the time, it was clearly Joe Biden's idea because no political consultant in their right mind would put applesauce for brains out there in the middle of a controversy about whether he had applesauce for brains. It had to be Joe Biden being a stubborn old dude. And he was like, hey, I, got, uh, I, I sound great, don't I, Jill? And Jill's like, uh, Jill. And he's like, no, I'll go with you. And then he went out there and sounded like that. Well, here's Corinne Jean-Pierre confirming the obvious. It was Joe Biden's idea to get out there in front of the cameras and demonstrate that his brain has turned to mush. Corinne, earlier you mentioned that the president of the White House thought it was a good idea for him to come out last Thursday. Just want to clear it up. Was it the president's idea to come out? It was the president's idea. Yes, he it wanted to. Idea. It was his idea. And how forceful was he when he you know, came out and uh, he, I mean, he said look, he I'm, wanted to do it that I'm, time? I mean, you saw the president out do this, uh, make a statement, take questions from all of you because he wanted to do it. Advise him against it? I, I'm not going to get into private conversations that the president has. The president is the president of the United States. If he says he wants to speak to directly to the American people, he's going to do that. Yeah, well, he decided that and then he did it and it didn't go amazing. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, you know, it's hard getting as many fruits and veggies as you're supposed to have, which is why I rely on balance of nature. Balance of nature, fruits and veggies are the most convenient way to get whole food ingredients every single day. Balance of nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing their natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in Balance of Nature's fruits and veggie capsules, those are the fruits and the veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order and you'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement, it's a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. We've been flying all the time in the last few weeks. And I gotta tell you, I used to get sick a lot more often from traveling. Well, since I started doing Balance of Nature, been healthier than ever. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Experience Balance of Nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get that free bottle of fiber and spice. Again, that's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro. She was asked, by the way, if Joe Biden should actually make his transcripts of his conversations with the special counsel public because one of the cases the Democrats have been making, as we'll see in a moment, is that the special counsel, who totally sank Joe Biden's boat here, is the problem. So the special counsel had on his plate a real issue, which was that Joe Biden clearly mishandled classified documents, knowingly, obviously. He was on tape. Again, it is amazing how many of our politicians do the crime on tape. It's, it's first rule of criming, as I've said a thousand times, don't do crime on tape, folks. Hey, watch the wire. Don't do crime on tape. But apparently all of our politicians break that rule. So Joe Biden was on tape with his ghostwriter saying, just a minute, all the classified materials are, I just found the classified materials which means he knew they were classified and that they were at his house, which is a violation of the law. <laughs> in any case, the way that the special counsel got out of that, it was, was by saying, yeah, I mean, it's true that he said all that, but also we all know that his brain is no longer functional, that he's in the clutches of encroaching senility. And then Democrats are like, how dare he say that? And so 
people like me are like, okay, well, if you say that he's not senile, then maybe you should release the transcript. So Corinne Jean-Pierre was asked, are they going to release the transcripts? Like, nah. Uh, committee chairs have sent a letter to the attorney general asking for, for the release of the transcripts and recordings related to her's investigation. Given your insistence that the special counsel's characterizations of the president's demeanor uh, were inaccurate, are you eager for this material to be made public? Do you support their release? Well, look, and I just want to be really clear, it's not just us. There was also a bipartisan voices and illegal, illegal experts who have said it was wrong, flatly wrong, right? It was, it was gratuitous. It was inappropriate how that was characterized in, in in, in uh, the special counsel's report. For any other specific on the, tra uh, the transcript or anything related to that, the letter, I would certainly refer you to my colleagues. So you won't say, counsel. given that you think the report is flatly wrong and gratuitous, you can't say if you want the material to be made public? If the American what, people no, what I can this? say, it's being, they're discussing it, they're looking at it, there's a process that's involved, and so the White House counsel can, obviously has taken these questions from all of you, and so they're looking into it. I just don't have anything further to say about that. Yeah, so they're, they're not going to release those transcripts because it's going to demonstrate what everybody already knows. And by the way, we don't need the transcripts. We can see him. This is my favorite part of this whole controversy of whether Joe Biden has a mental problem at this point. We have eyes, folks. He's the president. Every time he talks, it feels like he's about to keel over physically. Am I going to be surprised by anything in the transcript? I'll be surprised if he's shockingly articulate. That's what will surprise me. Meanwhile, the Democrats, again, they keep trying to push through. So Nancy Pelosi, who is 83 years old, legitimately 83, because the entire leadership class of our country has been dead for 20 years. Nancy Pelosi, they're trotting her out to say that Joe Biden is sharp which is an amazing, amazing. <laughs> they have to trot out the lady who's two years older than Joe Biden to explain why old age and sharpness are, are not affecting Joe Biden. Amazing stuff here. Do you think that is the avenue that President Biden should go down on this, sort of poking fun at, at I mean, his age is his age. His age is his age, yes. I'll tell you this, though. I've worked with the president for a long time, especially closely as speaker when he was president and now since then. And he knows, I mean, he, he's always on the ball. He knows these issues. He knows the legislation. He helped write some of it. He campaigned on it. He remembers it. Uh, anyone who would uh, think that they're at some advantage because of his age uh, uh, thinks that at their peril because he's very sharp. Then sure's a clacking. Yes, this is our country now. Meanwhile, Jen Psaki, the former press secretary for Joe Biden, she says that maybe we should actually investigate Robert Hur, the special counsel. Yes, we, we should we should not talk about the 25th Amendment for our fading president. Instead, we should talk about whether the special counsel is a bad, bad man for noting the thing that everyone can see because, again, we all have eyeballs. His reporting and who he talked to went outside of what would be normal, even for a special counsel. Do you think that should be investigated or looked into? Because the judicial system, the judiciary is kind of in a, 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 not, a not a positive view necessarily by the American public at this point. Well, in the role that I have, all, all I can do is point it out, which is you had an investigation that ran for 15 months, which could have been concluded in just a few months. There was never any question that the president had not engaged in criminal wrongdoing. He was the self-reporting party here. He had turned the documents over upon discovery, cooperated in every respect. 
And yet somehow in this report, uh, the special counsel felt compelled to engage in this irrelevant, unfounded and often pejorative commentary. And I think it's clear that uh, that commentary is inconsistent with department norms. And Yeah, investigate the special counsel. That's the ticket. You guys are doing great. Chuck Schumer, also an old man. He's out there defending Joe Biden. I am amused by the fact that legitimately every person in these conversations is is an elderly person. Chuck Schumer is 73 years old. And here's Chuck Schumer. He's the spring chicken of the group talking about how with it Joe Biden is. I talk to President Biden, you know, regularly, off sometimes several times in a week or usually several times in a week. His mental acuity is great. It's fine. It's as good as it's been over the years. I've been speaking to him for 30 years since we worked on the Brady Bill and the assault weapons ban when I was a young congressman. <laughs> um, and um, he's, he's, he's fine. All this right-wing propaganda that his mental acuity has declined is wrong. Oh, it's, 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 it's all wrong, is it? We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, if there's one thing keeping me alive right now, it is Black Rifle Coffee. So last night, we got back in from backstage. It was really, really late. And then my three-year-old daughter came on in at 5.30 this morning. And um, yeah, I wasn't sure if I was going to recover in time for the show. And that is why I started guzzling Black Rifle Coffee like nobody's business. If you haven't tried it, now's the perfect time to do so. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order with promo code Shapiro at BlackRifleCoffee.com. You'll see why they are becoming one of the most popular coffee companies in the country. Black Rifle Coffee is veteran-founded and veteran-run. They take pride in serving coffee and culture to people who love the country. When you shop with Black Rifle Coffee, your money goes a long way toward giving back to those who serve our nation. Every purchase you make helps fuel their mission to support veteran and first responder causes. This includes everything from getting much needed equipment to first responders to helping veterans fight cancer and more. Plus, Black Rifle Coffee just announced a massive new partnership with the UFC, which they kicked off with a huge donation to the Hunter 7 Foundation. Black Rifle Coffee sources exotic roasts from award-winning farms worldwide. Their stuff is awesome. Don't just take our word for it. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com right now. Get 20% off your purchase with code Shapiro. That's BlackRifleCoffee.com, promo code Shapiro. Well, the funny thing about all of this is, again, because everyone has eyeballs, even Jon Stewart, who has now returned to Comedy Central to take over his old slot on The Daily Show. He's now doing that, I suppose, every Monday. He opened with a bit about how not with it Joe Biden is. And again, this is a format that always suited Jon Stewart best. No one ever said he was untalented. I said he was bad for the country, but no one ever said he was untalented. Here was Jon Stewart opening up his guns on Joe Biden's mental acuity. These two candidates, they are both similarly challenged. And it is not crazy to think that the oldest people in the history of the country to ever run for president might have some of these challenges. Now, Democrats will say that any criticism like this, especially of Biden, is unfair. Because you just don't know Biden like they know Biden. If you're telling us behind the scenes he is sharp and full of energy and on top of it and really in control and leading, you should film that. <laughs> that would be good to show to people instead of a TikTok where he goes, <laughs> One thing we know for certain is this. We have two candidates who are chronologically outside the norm of anyone who has run uh, for the presidency in this country, in the history of this country. They are the oldest people ever to run for president, breaking by only four years the record that they set. <laughs> the stakes of this election don't make Donald Trump's opponent less subject to scrutiny. It actually makes him more subject to scrutiny. If the barbarians are at the gate, you want Conan 
standing on the ramparts, not chocolate chip cookie guy. So suffice it to say, Joe Biden has a bunch of problems in his reelect effort, including the fact, by the way, that inflation continues to truck along. The consumer price index came out yesterday. And what it found is that consumer prices rose 3.1% in January 2024 from a year before. Remember, they are shooting for 2%. This is 50% off. Prices rose the fastest for a wide variety of groups for frozen non-carbonated juices and drinks, 29% up. There are a bunch of products that are significantly more expensive now than they were before. Over the course of the last few years, obviously everything is more expensive than it was before, which is why the stock market took a dump yesterday. It dropped 500 points because the market is realizing that it's not time for loose monetary policy again. CNBC's Steve Leesman, he says, listen, it was a lousy month for inflation. Well, yeah, it's been a lousy tenure by Joe Biden for inflation, as it turns out. This issue we talked about, about these beginning of the year price increases, uh, is something uh, that is that drove uh, inflation this time around. Uh, a, a lot of a big increases in medical costs. You had uh, medical care up 0.7, uh, motor vehicle insurance up, up 1.4, hospitals um up as well. You didn't you didn't get much. Uh, you got a little relief from the used car world. You had food prices up. It was uh, just a lousy month when it came to inflation. And of course, real earnings also declined uh, in the month. Uh, worth pointing out. Hey, so, um, yes, things are bad for Joe Biden. Now, does that mean that Joe Biden is going to win, lose in, in 2024? So we have some early indicators and they're not amazing for Republicans. So last night, there was an election in the House seat to succeed George Santos. You remember George Santos? He's the weirdo who was fibbing about his name and his sexuality and pretty much everything else. George Santos, you remember this? Like con artist, huckster, you know, <laughs> maybe liable for criminal charges. Anyway, he got tossed out of his seat by the Congress and that left a seat vacant. That seat was a Democrat district. It had been rated a toss up by Cook Political Report. So it was a pretty hotly fought race between a Democrat named Tom Suozzi. Tom Suozzi had had that seat for a couple of terms before Santos took it in 2022. And he was running against a Republican named Mazzy Pillip, who's really sort of fascinating character, Ethiopian Jew, who was pro-Trump, but didn't run her campaign on the basis of Trump, because if she had, it would have been bad. That, that is not exactly a, a Trump-rich neighborhood. Joe Biden won that district. In any case, Mazzy Pillip lost last night. She lost because, again, there's a lot of money that was tossed in. Tom Suozzi has a very strong ground game. It was very snowy outside and, and all the rest. But special elections in this election cycle have not been going well for Republicans overall. That does not mean that they're not always a bellwether. That doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to go amazing for Democrats in 2024. With that said, these special elections, if they were going for Republicans, would probably be an indicator that 2024 could theoretically be a Republican wave year in the face of Democratic failures. The problem is Democrats right now are only losing the House by like a couple of votes. With the loss of this seat, the Republican House majority is down to three or four total votes. And some of those seats are currently being occupied by people who aren't showing up for Congress. So that means that in the upcoming 2024 elections, there is a very not insignificant likelihood that Democrats end up taking the House. And for all the talk about Republicans taking the Senate, those Senate races are very close. So one of the things Republicans should keep in mind is that they're running against a dead person. 86% of the American public thinks that Joe Biden is dead. They hate him on every issue. And Republicans are running dead even in pretty much every poll. 
Donald Trump's running dead even with Joe Biden. Well, one of the ways that you can militate against that, that you can fight against that, is to use every voting tool at your disposal. One of the big problems in New York is that Republicans did not vote early. They did not use mail-in ballots. You know who did? The Democrats. The Democrats used the mail-in ballots. Now, who could, in the Republican Party, who would have suggested that mail-in ballots are stupid and you shouldn't use them? Who would have proposed such a foolish proposition that you should, you know, never, that it's, it's somehow morally bad to vote early if you're a Republican, thus losing two Senate seats in Georgia and maybe his own presidential election? Donald Trump better flip on that, like, right fast, because use every method at your disposal to win. It's legal. Why would you not encourage Republicans to vote early? According to the Wall Street Journal, Suozzi will succeed, George Santos. He cuts into an already narrow GOP majority in the chamber. The party breakdown is currently 219 to 212. Suozzi beat back criticism from Pillip over the Biden administration's stewardship of the southern border, as well as the handling of Eric Adams of the migrant crisis in New York City. Suozzi said the race was centered on immigration and the economy, much like the issues all across our country. We, you, won this race because we addressed the issues and found a way to bind our division. Suozzi is uh, more of a moderate Democrat in some respects. In fact, as soon as his election was announced, a bunch of pro-Hamas protesters showed up and started yelling at him. That's what this looked like. With that said, this was a pretty solid victory by Suozzi. It was not a particularly close election. He ended up winning about 54 to 46 in this election. Again, if Democrats had lost this seat, it would have been a red blinking light right in their face, but they didn't. The Republican math is still rough. Immigration is not going to be enough. It's not going to be the only issue for Republicans in the 2024 election. This now makes the second major congressional election in which Republicans have tried to make an immigration centerpiece and it didn't quite work. Donald Trump tried to do it in 2018 and it really did not redound to the Republican benefit. Democrats had pretty high turnout because they wanted to show up and take back the district. And once again, that mail-in voting problem is a problem for Republicans. Disappointing GOP turnout on the day of could cripple Trump. And this is now a pattern for Republicans across the country. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let us say that you needed to upgrade your employment base. Let, let's say that you had a producer and he's really good. He's solid. Dude just is on the ball, gets the right clips every time. But one day, one day he gets the wrong clips and you decide it's time to open up the resumes. Well, that's how ZipRecruiter can help you. Our friends at ZipRecruiter conducted a recent survey which found that the top hiring challenge employers face in 2024 is a lack of qualified candidates. If you are an employer and you need to hire the good news, ZipRecruiter has smart tools and features that help you find more qualified candidates quickly. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. As soon as you post your job, ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology shows you candidates whose skills and experience match your requirements. ZipRecruiter has an invite to apply feature, so you can send top candidates a personalized invite to encourage them to respond to your job post. When you use ZipRecruiter's rating tool, they will send you more matches from new profiles that are created on the side. Let ZipRecruiter help you conquer your biggest hiring challenge of finding qualified candidates. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within day one. Just go to my exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Again, that is ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Greg Price on Twitter, he points out that there was also a special election yesterday in Bucks County, Pennsylvania to determine control of the state House of Representatives. It was a Biden plus 10 district. It's a solidly Biden district. 
The race was called for the Democrats over the Republicans with only 43% of the vote counted. Why? Well, because the Democrat won the mail-in vote 86 to 14. 86 to 14, why? Because Republicans keep saying stupid things like don't vote by mail. Dumb, dumb, dumb. Don't do that. The other thing that you shouldn't do is probably you should not run every congressional or Senate race on the basis of does Donald Trump love the candidate personally? So the candidate in that race, again, Mazzy Pillup was not an anti-Trump candidate, just wasn't a person who made Trump the centerpiece of her campaign. And Donald Trump has a very bad habit, which is crap on candidates, some of whom he endorses, by the way, who then go on to lose by suggesting that if they had tied themselves more closely to him, they would have won. So he put out a statement saying, quote, I have an almost 99% endorsement success rate in primaries and a very good number in the general elections as well. But just watch this very foolish woman, Mazzy Pillup, running in a race where she didn't endorse me and tried to, quote unquote, straddle the fence when she could have easily won if she understood anything about modern day politics in America. MAGA, which is most of the Republican Party, stayed home and it always will unless it is treated with the respect that it deserves. I stayed out of the race. I want to be loved. Give us a real candidate in the district for November. Swazi, I know him well, can be easily beaten. Okay, so... um. I mean, no, I mean, no, it turns out that running races in Congress specifically about Trump is not a recipe for electoral victory. It's just not. There are a lot of purple districts where people don't particularly love Trump. There are some districts, red districts, where you can love Trump as much as you want. It'll be good for you. If you're running in a heavy red district. Those districts tend to love Donald Trump. This district went for Joe Biden in the 2020 election. Running on the basis of I love Trump in a Biden plus eight or Biden plus 10 district would not exactly be smart politics. If Republicans continue to follow that road in elections, that is not going to end particularly well for them. It just isn't. So again, the factors against Joe Biden's reelect are very solid. But can Republicans snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? You bet your ass they can. They're really good at it. They spent the last few years doing it. Joe Biden was a weak candidate in 2022, and somehow he won. So again, Republicans better get smart about all of this. Okay, meanwhile, the Congress continues to debate this massive foreign policy aid bill. It has now moved to the House, a $95 billion aid package, about $60 billion in military aids to Ukraine. At this point, we should be clear that the $60 billion in military aids to Ukraine, a large part of that is to restock the American military buildup that has already gone to Ukraine. So we sent weapons to Ukraine. That was military aid. And now we have to restock all of that for our own purposes. And that is considered military aid to Ukraine. And we have to, it's actually not a bad thing for America's military base to be built up. That's actually quite a good thing. Now, the question, as I've said, is, is all $60 billion of that necessary in order to prevent Russia from taking the country? I laid all of this out yesterday. That what's amazing about our foreign policy debates is no one is willing to clearly state what their end goal is on virtually any of this. And because Republicans are not being clear about what their end goals are, that allows Democrats not to be clear about their end goals. So if Republicans just said, listen, we would like to provide the amount of money to Ukraine necessary to prevent Russia from overrunning its current positions. That's the amount of money we're willing to send. And meanwhile, we want to aggressively have the president and the State Department negotiate an end to this conflict that looks like what everybody knows the end of the conflict is going to look like, which is a solidification of the current border situation, plus American security guarantees and European security guarantees to Ukraine. That's effectively the outline of the deal. If Republicans said that, it would be very hard for Joe Biden to come back with something different because everybody knows that that is the logical solution. Okay, but instead, Republicans seem to be implying, some Republicans seem to be implying, for example, that it would be totally fine, not just if Putin were to continue the war, but if Putin were to overrun Kiev. And that allows Joe Biden to then go out there and suggest that 
this foreign aid bill is all about preventing Kiev from being overrun, which it's unclear to me that that's what it is about. There's a bunch of other garbage in the bill as well. In other words, there are many good principled grounds to oppose the foreign aid package. You can say that it's too large. You could even suggest, I think a little bit less credibly, that it's a misprioritization because we need to spend that money on the border. As I've said before, the problem at the border is not a money problem. Plus, let's be real about this, the amount of money that we have currently granted to to foreign aid, even in places like Ukraine, amounts to approximately a fraction, like a small, tiny little fraction of what the American budget typically is. If you're talking about the amount that has been provided to Ukraine over the course of this war, which would amount to maybe $100 billion, it's like 1.4% of the American annual budget. You're not talking about the kinds of money that bankrupt the economy. The stuff that bankrupts the economy, by the way, is all the entitlement programs that no one is willing to touch. And that's why I always find it ironic. There are some people who are like real spending hawks, like Rand Paul's a spending hawk. There are certain people who are definitely not spending hawks, and now they're bucking at the spending. It's like, I feel like that's not what this is really about. In any case, Joe Biden is using Republican lack of clarity on what they want in order to push the idea that Republicans want Putin to win, which, again, I've talked to many of the senators who are voting against the foreign aid bill. They don't want Putin to win. They just think the foreign aid bill is too large. But this is why it behooves you to be clear about your positions on these particular issues. We'll get to that in just one second. Folks, I have good news and I have bad news. The bad news is most of the products in your bathroom, they're woke. I mean, look at them. Look at the commercials for the products that you bought. A lot of them are woke. The good news is Jeremy's wants to help you wash the woke away with 15% off all of your essentials, along with Jeremy's skincare products. The facial cleanser and moisturizer are made with natural ingredients like aloe vera, bamboo charcoal, and hyaluronic acid. And Jeremy's leaves out toxic chemicals like parabens, sulfates, and how can you wash off toxic values if you're using toxic chemicals? You know, that that one that I'm talking about, it is spelled P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S. That's why it sounded like Joe Biden talking right there. Head on over to jeremysrazors.com to get Jeremy's skincare for 15% off today, along with all of your other essentials. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, let's be real. French fries, they're the only good vegetable, but... Unfortunately, they're not healthy. They're bad for you. Well, Balance of Nature fruits and veggies are the most convenient way to get whole food ingredients every day, like the actual vegetables that that count toward what you should be eating. Balance of Nature uses an advanced cold vacuum process that encapsulates fruits and veggies into whole food supplements without sacrificing those natural antioxidants. The capsules are completely void of additives, fillers, extracts, synthetics, pesticides, or added sugar. The only thing in Balance of Nature's fruit and veggie capsules are, you know, like the fruits and the veggies. Right now, my listeners can get 35% off their first order and they'll also get a free fiber and spice supplement. Balance of Nature's fiber and spice supplement is a revolutionary fiber drink with a unique blend of 12 spices and whole foods. I'm flying pretty much constantly for the last few months. Gotta tell you, I really rely on Balance of Nature. There's never been an easier way to make sure you're getting your daily dose of fruits and veggies. Experience Balance of Nature for yourself today. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. Plus, get a free bottle of fiber and spice. That's balanceofnature.com, promo code Shapiro for 35% off that first preferred order. Plus, that free bottle of fiber and spice. We'll get to more on this in just one moment. First, I've been talking about my Helix Sleep mattress for years. I gotta admit, Last night was a very rough night. We had to take the dog to the hospital. Dog is okay, but didn't get a lot of sleep. The sleep I did get is thanks to my Helix Sleep mattress made just for me. If you haven't already checked out the Helix Elite Collection, you need to. Helix harnesses years of mattress expertise to offer a truly elevated sleep experience. The Helix Elite Collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. If you're nervous about buying a mattress online, you don't have to be. Helix has a sleep quiz that matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress because why would you buy a mattress made for somebody else? I took that Helix quiz. I was matched with a firm but breathable mattress. I love it. My wife loves it. We're big Helix fans here at the Shapiro house. Plus, Helix has a 10-year warranty. You get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but 
I'm not sure that has ever happened. Helix is now offering 25% off all mattress orders plus two free pillows for my listeners. Head on over to helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code helixpartner25. It's their best offer yet. It's not going to last long. That's helixsleep.com slash Ben. Use code helixpartner25. With Helix, better sleep starts right now. Okay, meanwhile, Joe Biden is now attempting to play Republican hesitance to pass this giant foreign aid package, which, again, has a bunch of bad elements. Maybe too much aid for Ukraine, depending on what exactly is the end goal here. Certainly too much aid for, quote unquote, the Palestinians in Gaza, which, again, unspecified how that money even gets into the Gaza Strip. Who takes it? The American taxpayer sponsored pretty much all of Hamas's weaponry, tunnel building and all the rest over the course of the past 20 years. So it seems to me the American taxpayer should stop subsidizing actual terrorist groups. Those are all good reasons to oppose the foreign aid bill. And in fact, I think it should be passed by the House in pieces. I think that if you are Mike Johnson, the best path forward is put up a clean Israel aid bill separately, put up a clean Ukraine aid bill of the size that you think is necessary to prevent Vladimir Putin from overrunning Kiev. put that up separately, put up a clean Taiwan aid bill and force Democrats to vote on each one of those things and force Joe Biden to veto each one of those things. That would be the smart politics here, because the truth is that there is a majority proposition for foreign aid on each of these things, like just as a political matter. It's like an 80-20 matter that most Americans believe that the amount of support that America has provided to Israel is either right or needs to be increased. When it comes to the amount of foreign aid that has been provided to Ukraine, there still is a broad majority that believes that enough foreign aid should be provided to Ukraine so that Russia doesn't take it over. If that's the proposition, and then the question is how much aid that actually is. You know, it depends, of course, in all these polls on how you ask the question. When you say, should Ukraine get more aid? Many Americans will say no. If you say, if Vladimir Putin will take over Ukraine, if they don't get more aid, should Ukraine get more aid? Most Americans will then say yes. When it comes to Taiwan, that is a broad majority proposition. Most Americans believe that Taiwan should be armed enough to repel a Chinese invasion or a Chinese blockade. And so you can pass all of those independently. That would be the path forward for Mike Johnson. Force the Democrats to the floor on this one. Okay, but because no one's been clear about their position, that allows Joe Biden to get out there and slur his words about all of it. So yesterday, Joe Biden does a press conference. It was literally a five-minute press conference, took no questions. He's doddering. He is not solid. Here he was yesterday. And the way it works is we supply Ukraine with military equipment from our stockpiles. And then we spend our money replenishing those stockpiles so our military has access to them. Stockpiles that are made right here in America by American workers. Okay, um, I don't, I, I, I don't know what, what he means by, literally. <laughs> he doesn't speak English anymore. But again, his entire shtick is he believes that if he yells at Republicans about Putin, that's going to have the same impact as Republicans yelling at him about immigration. I really don't think that's the case. Here he was yesterday suggesting that Republicans have turned pro-Putin. And I say to the House members, House Republicans, you got to decide. <gasps> are you going to stand up for freedom? We're going to side with terror and tyranny. You're going to stand with Ukraine. Oh, You're going to stand with Putin. Will we stand with America or with Trump. Republicans and Democrats in the Senate came together to send a message of unity to the world. It's time for the House Republicans to do the same thing. To pass this bill immediately. To stand for decency. Hey, what? Stand for democracy to stand up to a so-called leader hell-bent on weakening American security. Okay, the, the, these sorts of truisms where he says, stand up for freedom, stand up for democracy. I don't like that sort of stuff when you talk foreign policy. Foreign policy is about hard-headed American interests. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't back countries that, that 
Are more pro-American over countries that are more anti-American? We should, generally speaking. It doesn't mean we shouldn't back liberty when we have the ability to do so. That's true also. But let's be real about this. The reason that we are backing Ukraine in the fight against Putin is for very strong geopolitical reasons. You want to throw China off the ball with regard to invading Taiwan. You want to weaken the Russian military so they provide less of an ally to the Chinese. You want to make sure that Russia can't spread its tentacles into Africa and the Middle East. You want to make sure that Russia doesn't have its eyes on Poland or on Lithuania or Latvia or Estonia. And these are all good geopolitical reasons. Very few of them have to do with this kind of broad democracy. I don't like that sort of stuff because, again, those are arguments that, as we used to say in law school, prove too much. There are many democracies that are under threat in the world. Doesn't mean that necessarily the United States has a role in all of that. There are lots of places where bad stuff is happening. Doesn't mean the United States has a role in all of that either. This happens to be a place where the United States can sign a reasonable check. I don't know, 60 billion is the size of that reasonable check. But in any case, Republican lack of clarity opens the door to Biden being able to do this sort of propagandizing. And you can see that, right? Chuck Schumer was out there yesterday promoting the idea that this is one of the most consequential bills in American history, which uh, I have some questions. A long night, a long weekend, and a long few months. But a new day is here, and our efforts have been more than worth it. Today, we witnessed one of the most historic and consequential bills to have ever passed the Senate. It's certainly been years, perhaps decades, since the Senate passed a bill that so greatly impacts not just our national security, not just the security of our allies, but the security of Western democracy. Okay, so again, the, the, the sort of game that he's playing here where it's either this bill or nothing, this sort of binary stupidity has always been particularly dumb. Now, what's going to happen in the House? So Mike Johnson has said that he has no intention of bringing the bill as it currently stands up for a, for a vote on the floor. And as I say, I think that he should just carve it up and provide piecemeal bills for each one of these priorities. First of all, I tend to like that anyway. I don't like omnibus packages because omnibus packages tend to be crap sandwiches. So I'd be much happier with single issue bills that people get to vote up or down on. You don't want aid for Israel? Fine, vote on it. You don't want aid for Ukraine? Fine, vote on it. Like, just do it that way. But there is another way that the House could theoretically go around Mike Johnson and something worth considering as just a possibility. And that is a discharge petition. So get ready, because I think Democrats actually will probably try to pursue this. A discharge petition would require about 218 members of the House, a majority, to force consideration of a piece of legislation on the floor. So essentially, you get a piece of paper, Everybody signs it. You get 200 Democrats and say 20 Republicans in the House to sign this piece of paper. And then it moves forward through this arduous process and the majority effectively loses control of the floor. Unlikely it moves forward that way because, again, I don't think Democrats actually want this thing passed. I think Democrats would prefer to use it as something to run on. Democrats were accusing Republicans of that with regard to an immigration bill. There was, I think, a grain of of some truth to that. I think it's also true for Democrats. I think Democrats right now would prefer to see Republicans kill this thing in the House so they can then run on the idea that Americans are weak on national security, which is why it behooves Republicans to be clear about what they want and what they do not want. And right now you have a fractured narrative from Republicans over the foreign aid. Are they doing it because they actually don't mind Putin running over Ukraine? Are they doing it because they don't want Israel to be able to defend itself against Hamas? Or are they saying we're spending too much money and they're spending hawks like a Thomas Massey or like a Rand Paul? Or are they saying that they want to grant foreign aid, they just don't want all the crap in the bill. They've been totally unclear about which of these paths they're choosing. That's allowing Democrats to spin this thing. Okay, meanwhile, speaking of Republicans not handling politics competently. So we mentioned yesterday that Donald Trump would like to see Lara Trump become co-chair of the RNC. And as I mentioned yesterday, 
I, I don't really know Lara Trump, like at all. I've never met her, I don't believe. I don't have anything against Lara Trump. I'm not a big fan of dynastic politics. I just think it's wrong and bad. I didn't like it when it was Clinton. I didn't like it when it was Bush. And I don't like it when it's Trump either. I particularly don't like it when entire Republican apparatuses are mobilized in favor of one man at the expense of, you know, conservative victory across the country. The RNC is not just supposed to be about the presidential race. That's why the president has his own super PACs. That's why the president has his own campaign fundraising apparatus. The RNC is supposed to be about congressional races, you know, because Congress matters, and Senate races because, you know, the Senate matters. But Lara Trump, she is out there. Yeah, if, if the Republican Party is basically just pledge, pledge fealty and allegiance to Donald Trump, that's not a party anymore. It isn't. And it's certainly not a vehicle for victory because Donald Trump is not popular enough to do that. Democrats, by the way, tried the same thing with Barack Obama and it failed. Parties do not succeed when they are not coalitional. Parties must be coalitional. They must include people who are lukewarm on Trump or even cold on Trump, but will vote with Trump 85 to 90% of the time. So taking all of your campaign resources and directing them toward a presidential and forgetting about, you know, the legislative body where all legislation commences, that's a mistake. But that's what Lara Trump was saying. She was literally out there yesterday as the possible co-chair of the RNC, suggesting that every dime raised by the RNC should go into the presidential race, which is wild. That is not how the RNC is supposed to work. And by the way, if it does work that way, Republicans will get their asses kicked up and down the ballot. Here's what I can tell you. The RNC needs to be the leanest, most lethal political fighting machine we've ever seen in American history. That is the goal over the next nine and a half months. If I am elected to this position, I can assure you there will not be any more $70,000 or whatever exorbitant amount of money it was spent on flowers. Every single penny will go to the number one and the only job of the RNC. That is electing Donald J. Trump as president of the United States and saving this country. Okay, so... um. That's not what the RNC is for. The RNC is not just for getting Trump elected president. It's about other candidates as well. And the problem with this mentality is that what it means, having seen how Donald Trump responded to the loss of Massey Pillup in the New York three race, if it turns into the only people that Donald Trump endorses are the people the RNC backs. And the only people who pledge total fealty to Donald Trump are the people that the RNC backs. That is not a recipe for success. Again, what I would like to see just politically, 2025, January 2025, I want to see Donald Trump as president with a solid House majority and a Republican and a Republican majority in the Senate as well. That is my top priority. Right? Just politically speaking, I want to see Republican unified electoral command of the legislative branches of government as well as the executive branch of government. Anything that is an obstacle to that, up to and including declarations of fealty directly to Donald Trump, is stupid. If the RNC is going to run itself this way, this is not the way to win. As proof of this proposition, I have 2018, 2020, 2021, 2022, and now 2023. I'm not sure how many more elections we have to run in order to understand that Donald Trump is not, in fact, and should not be the center of every congressional race, every Senate race. That is not a good strategy for victory in an incredibly diverse country with a lot of congressional districts and Senate seats. That, that do not share all the same priorities. Okay, I'd be remiss if I did not comment on a clip that has been making the rounds today. It is a clip of uh, Tucker Carlson. Uh, I'm not sure when this is from, but Russell Brand started putting this out. As you know, I like Russell. I've had Russell on the show multiple times. We have many conversations with Russell. In any case, uh, Tucker, uh, once again, went after me rather personally. Here, here, here he was. We have a right to be mad, at least. And let me just again speak for... Americans, middle-aged Americans, 
uh, which is what I am, you know, I've got four draft age children. So if you're playing recklessly fast and loose with their lives, then I have a right to despise you. And I do. So if you're Nikki Haley who's running for president or Ben Shapiro or half the people I see on television casually mentioning the possibility of nuclear war or sending Americans to fight in the Middle East or in any way involving us in a war that has nothing to do with prosperity and peace at home, nothing, in other words, to do with us Americans, then I have a right to call you out and be really offended because it's my family. They live here. It's not a joke to me. There's nothing abstract about it. And that is the difference between what's happening in the Middle East from what's happening in Ukraine, about which I had very strong feelings, but I didn't think there was a realistic possibility that my kids could be enmeshed in it. Now there is. And the only people who claim it's divisive to pull people's attention back to their own families, their own communities, are the people profiting from your attention being 5,000 miles away. That's just true. And, and you know it's true because they don't even debate you. They just name call. You're pro-terror. You're whatever. Oh, shut up. So let's be clear about this. One, Tucker is just lying about my positions here. I've never called for boots on the ground in Ukraine. You listen to the show, you know that's the case. I've never called for American boots on the ground in Israel, by the way. Do I think it is good for America that there are a bunch of pro-Hamas people running around tearing down posters of kidnapped people, including Americans? No, I don't think that's very good for America. And I actually do see a fairly significant problem in the West if you do have hundreds of thousands of people marching in support of a terrorist group. That seems like a fairly pro-America position to me. But, you know, Tucker has been spending months mischaracterizing my positions, lying about my positions. As you know from listening to the show, I've offered many times to sit down with Tucker. He has said he's willing. His team has said that he's busy for months because of foreign travel. That offer remains open. Alrighty, folks, the rest of the show continues right now. We'll be joined by Anthony Rubin. He's the founder of muckraker.com. He's a leading expert on the U.S. border crisis. One of the only journalists to have ever traveled and documented the entire mass migration route from Quito, Ecuador to the U.S. border. If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro. Check out for two months free on all annual plans. Click that link in the description and join us. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 